Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi guys. I am so happy to be back. Well, for you, it doesn't change a thing. But for me, it's the first episode I record after my holiday. So I feel like it's like, you know, going back to school, going back to work, all that. So I'm very excited, even though I'm quite sad to not be in the holiday anymore. Like, um, really. A part of me just want to go back, but you know, you have to go back to real life and all that. And so I'm happy to be here with you today because we have left the big angst, uh, well, for now, you know. But yeah, I'm really happy because now it's a bit more jolly and yeah, I hope you are well and that all the go back to school, go back to work, everything went well and I wish you uh, a good year. So today we're here to talk about episode seven of season three of Downton Abbey that I called the one with the christening. Let's just start, shall we? Like usual, I'm going to start with Bates and Anna. I quite like starting with them, especially because now it's very happy, like we're happy because Bates is free. That's how the episode starts. Bates gets out of prison and Anna is waiting for him. I mean, we've been waiting for that for a long time now. And thank God for Anna. And I mean, this their reunion is just so sweet. And he even says it and he says, yes, thank God. And you. And yes, thank God for Anna. Because without her, Bates would still be in prison. Like, I don't know what the lawyer is supposed to do, but if she didn't look for the evidence that he was innocent, he would still be in jail. So I already said it, but Anna, just if you want to leave service, just, you know, become a detective. I'm sure that you, it would be great. So they're coming back to Downton. And you see that he's a little nervous, like she's so happy, but she's a little nervous because well, he hasn't been there for a while now. But then he arrived in the seventh world and they're all happy to see him. Like he's just so nice. Well, oh, except Thomas, but we talk about him later. They're all happy to see him. Like he's it, really so sweet. Like Carson is like, oh my God, thank God Mr. Bates is back. Mrs. Hughes is happy. Mosley, he's really happy too. Like it's just, it just so nice. And then Mrs. Padmore gives him breakfast and Daisy. And it's really sweet to see that they're all happy to see him. Even O'Brien, she has a little smile. Like she's not like she used to, you know. But Thomas obviously is not because, well, Mr. Barrow was his lordship's valet. And if Bates is back, well, there's an issue here. And I said the servants are happy. But Robert is very, very happy because when he comes out of the dining room, he wasn't really happy, you know, in the dining room. we talk about that later. When he sees Bates, you see he's smiling. Like he's so happy to see his friend back home. And um, it's very sweet because then he says that he, well, he wants to give him and Anna a cottage because well, they're married. And they even talked about it. When Bates wanted to marry Anna, so it was a long time ago, but then, you know, he went in prison and all that. So, yeah, but he wants them to have a proper cottage because they're married and it would be well better than them being in their rooms at Downton. Even Robert says, I will find what I can do, but Thomas, like, just now rest. I just love when he says, just rest. And Bates, you feel like he's like, but I want to work. Like, I've been resting in prison. Like, I, I'm happy to be here because I want to work. Like, I want to do something. And I just, like, read books and rest. And, like, I've done that in prison. Yeah. Um. No, I want to work. Then you have Robert and Cora walking outside together. We're very happy to see that. 
because uh, I mean, they're back together. We like that. And when they talk about Thomas, because she says you can't just sack him because he's done nothing wrong, which is true. Well, he did things that were wrong, you know, like he stole back then, but they have forgiven him and all that. But now he's done nothing wrong. So you can't just say, okay, so Bates is here now. So bye bye. Because it's not, or it's not nice. It's not even fair. And when Robert says, well, you can't expect to stay my valet and Bates is back. And it's funny that he says that because Robert is the one that wants to be, you know, fair with the people who works for him, who works with him, with all the downtown management, the tenants, all that that we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about downtown management. But it's really funny that with the tenants and the farmers, you know, he wants to be fair and, and you know, nice, all that. But Thomas, first thing he, he thinks about that, yeah, but Bates is back. So, um, yeah, bye bye, Thomas. So Cora is right on that. So you can't just sack him because there's nothing wrong. And then, you know, she says, well, just ask Carson. You might have some ideas, you know, because obviously Robert wants Bates back as his valet. Obviously, we want that too, actually. In the servant's home, you see, I like this uh, Thomas versus Bates because you have just the eye contact, you know, like they're kind of fighting each other just by looking at each other. Like, yeah, no one wants to say the obvious, which is Mr. Bowery, you will have to leave because Mr. Bates is back. Obviously, Mosley, because it's Mosley, he always has to put his foot in his mouth. And he says, well, I suppose you'd be looking for something else to do, you know, Mr. Barrow, and the, now that Mr. Bates is back. And everyone kind of looks at him like, well, you know, we all thought about that, but just we didn't want to say it. I just love how Mosley, he always has to go in it. Like, you know, like he always put his foot in his mouth, but that's why we like him, actually. And then we have beautiful little sequence of Anna and Bates walking together outside. Very sweet, like they're happy. And it's very sweet to see that because we have not seen them truly happy. But like, not just, oh, we're married, that's great. But you still have like your wife slash ex-wife slash late wife actually hanging there. You know, it's really properly happy. You know, like no troubles. It's just so nice. And let's just enjoy that because, you know, I'm going to say happiness is boring and it's not going to last long which is very sad i just enjoy it while we can i just love this sequence really pretty it's really beautiful and they work together and they're talking about which cottage they might have and i just love it it's very sweet because then they talk a bit about the future actually because they're having a cottage that is them moving together and all that it's just oh, very sweet i love it and just talk a bit about thomas we have Robert and Thomas in the dressing room and Thomas, you see, he has really like his face is like completely depressed face. And Robert says, you know, I will talk to Carson about it. I will find a solution. And Thomas says something really sensible. He says, well, please just tell me when you want me to leave <laughs> you know, so I can, you know, prepare. Just give me time so I can find something to do. But actually, it's not just because of that, that Thomas is down. We know we're going to wait just after that. But um, yeah, I think it's quite a tricky situation because since he's been his valet, he really has done nothing wrong. Like he's been a little, you know, pain in the ass because it's Thomas, but I quite like Thomas actually in this season because where we saw him after the war, we saw him a bit more fragile, all those sides of him. And especially now that Sybil is dead, we really saw something different. So I quite like Thomas. I really feel bad for him actually. But then, like I said, Thomas is not just feeling down because Bates is back. That's something else. So now it's time to talk about our love Pentagon, like called it, you know, like Thomas, Jimmy, Ivy, Alfred, Daisy, like all this, because I really don't know how to talk about this without talking about all of them because it's kind of all linked because they're all in love with the wrong people. So 
Alfred wants to go to the pictures with Ivy. First thing she says, she asks Jimmy if he wants to come. And Jimmy's like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to. But Jimmy, he's really... Jimmy gets on my nerves, like, so hard. Like, ugh. Jimmy, he really has this ability of being so unpleasant. <laughs> he thinks himself above everybody else. And that gets on my nerves. But anyway. And Ivy, well, of course, she doesn't want to go with Alfred on her own first because it's not proper. But then, you know, because she knows Alfred likes her, she doesn't really like him. Very complicated. But then Miss Sue says that they can come if some other girls come with them. So in the end, Ivy says, yes, okay, she would go with Alfred. So Alfred, it's like the best day of his life at that moment. Then in the kitchen, Alfred, he talks cooking with Mrs. Patmore. I think it's really sweet because we, we know that he's interested in that. We've seen him, you know, with Ivy in the kitchen when he saved the Hollandaise, was it? Like, you know, and obviously Jimmy has to make fun of him because it's Jimmy. And Miss Patmore, she takes Alfred's defense and Carson, he comes in and he says, Why do you always feel the need to be so unpleasant, James? Well, this is exactly how I feel. It feels like he has to be unpleasant. And I don't know why, but it's so irritating, like, ugh. And then so because he's a bit upset with Jimmy, he says that Alfred will carry the fish tonight. I mean, that Alfred will be the first footman. So Jimmy, he doesn't like that. And Ivy takes his defense and Daisy doesn't understand Alfred at all because what I understand Daisy at that point, she's like, Alfred, you are taller than Jimmy. Then you've been here longer than him. Ivy, she takes Jimmy's defense all the time because he wants to go to picture with her. Like that makes no sense. And I like when she says that and you see Ivy, she has really her look. She's questioning Alfred like, okay, so why do you want to go with me? Alfred's like, well, I got the tickets now, so we go. Sometimes, I mean, boys, are just, I just think are so stupid. The first thing that came to mind in that point was, you know, boys only want love when it's torture. Just to quote Taylor Swift, because you know me. But this is exactly like that. I mean, I'm, I'm on Daisy's side. Ivy is always on Jimmy's side. Like she always takes his defense. And Jimmy, he always has to tease or to make fun of Alfred. So, which really doesn't make sense. But anyway. And so Jimmy is angry. He talks with Thomas. And Thomas says that he can get his revenge if he wants, but not by losing his temper. Like, he need to think. And then O'Brien tells him again that Jimmy likes him. That you make a cozy couple or something like that. And you know what? If Jimmy didn't get on my nerves so much, I would agree with her. Like, I do believe just like that that thomas and jimmy they can make a great couple it's just that can't stand jimmy so yeah because i quite like thomas now so um yeah anyway and obviously thomas like well you're wrong and she keeps saying you know oh but our friend keeps telling me that he likes you and all that and she's smiling like she's smiling way too much in this series like really you know something is wrong like it's, it, it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel natural seeing o'brien smiling that much <laughs> And so, you know, James is angry at Alfred. It's dinner. Alfred is supposed to be the first footman for this dinner. And so Jimmy, he helps Alfred. Like he, he replaces the cutlery on the plate. He says because it's better for them to get hold of it. I don't know. Obviously, we knew that it didn't help him just because he wanted to help him. And when it's time for, uh, when Alfred comes to give the plate to Violet, food fall on Violet's lap and, you know, Obviously, Jimmy did it on purpose. In the seventh hall, they talk about all that. And Alfred says what happened. And he says, I didn't say it was made on purpose. And Jimmy said, well, of course not, because I was only trying to help. Yeah, Maya, I absolutely do not believe it. We do not believe it at all. 
but then it's a moment for them to go to the picture. So Alfred and Ivy, they go. And then when I come back, it's funny because so Ivy and Alfred are talking and you see that they actually look good together. Like they talk very naturally. It's very nice. And you see that they could actually be great together if Ivy could see that Jimmy is not interested. And then back at Downton in the servants' hall, Jimmy is with Thomas and they talk and Jimmy says that Carson doesn't like him. And Thomas says then just really casually, well, I love you. But he says it in a way like, you know, Jimmy, he finds it kind of a joke or something saying that maybe Carson prefers Alfred over him, but everyone else prefers him. And saying that they're quite a pair, like they're quite alike in the way that um, I like when Thomas says, because Jimmy says that he has no one, no really not really friends he has no family but Thomas is like you know they like to appear very sure of, the, of themselves but deep down they're not which is true they're quite alike and you see that when he says that Jimmy he's smiling like like they could actually be good friends the both of them because they really are alike and then Jimmy he goes to bed and O'Brien again she has to say that Jimmy likes Thomas that Alfred told her that Jimmy can start talking about Thomas. This whole thing is actually very, very weird because I don't believe that Jimmy would keep talking about Thomas in a way that would make people think that he's in love with him. You know, because, I mean, you could go to jail if you were gay. So I, the whole business that she is doing is completely twisted. I mean, she keeps, you know, going on and on about all that. So obviously, Thomas, he thinks about it because he sees how Jimmy talks with him and no, he never said anything when he touched him. Like, if you feel just like him because he has to read the signs, you could believe that, yes, Jimmy can be interested, you know, and because O'Brien just has to manipulate everybody. Then you have a uh, parallel editing or cross-cutting, which is a technique where you alternate between scenes that happen simultaneously in different locations. And it's quite funny because in French, you call it montage alterné because you alternate scenes, you know. And we have another technique that we call montage parallel, which is absolutely not the same thing. So if someone who is listening to that know how in English you say montage parallel, because I've tried to find it and I couldn't find it anywhere. Montage parallel is more about a metaphor. It's a different thing than the parallel editing, but yeah. Anyway, just saying that it's why it's happening there, because first you have Jimmy in his bedroom. Then you have Thomas first in the servants hall, then in his room thinking like you see like he's trying to process everything that O'Brien says I think he's just to see if all the signs that might have been there with Jimmy and you have Ivy and Alfred coming home and Alfred saying to Ivy that he would love to go out with her again and saying that Jimmy is not interested in her and Ivy says that she will have to hear that from his lips then Thomas he leaves his room he goes into Jimmy's Jimmy is asleep Alfred comes up the stairs you realize that moment Alfred he wants to talk to Jimmy so that he says to Avi that he's not interested and Thomas so he's in Jimmy's room he kisses Jimmy and at that moment Alfred comes in Jimmy wakes up he's very angry and he says to Alfred that it's not what he thinks there's nothing between them so all that technique you know the para editing said so you have this speeding up of tension because at the same time, you see Jimmy going to bed and then sleeping and Thomas thinking about what am I going to do and going to Jimmy's room and you have Ivy and Alfred coming home. So because if Alfred never came into Jimmy's room, I think no one would know because Jimmy would have never reacted that way 
I think he was just being shocked and say leave, but not that angry because he thinks he has to react, even almost overreact to make sure that Alfred knows that he didn't want it this. Like he doesn't want to kiss Thomas. Like this is completely repulsive for him, you know. And I think this is actually really sad because you see Thomas being really vulnerable at that moment saying, you know, who cares about Alfred? He's nothing but all the things you said. And you see, he at the end of the scene, he has tears in his eyes because he really thought for a moment that, yes, he could work out with Jimmy and no, he can't. Then Jimmy asks him to leave the room. And Carson, obviously, with all this shouting, he has awakened. And what Thomas just said, then Jimmy has a bad dream and everything is all right. But nothing is right because now there will be tension between Jimmy and Thomas, but Alfred has seen them. So that... Is absolutely not all right. In the servants' hall, next morning, like I said, there's tension. And Thomas, he tries to maybe, in a way, apologize to Jimmy. But you see, like, the tension. And Anna, she's like, what is going on? You know, everyone can feel it. And they will say, well, nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. And even Moses like, well, it doesn't seem like nothing. Again, Mosley putting his food in his mouth. Like, everyone thinks that, but no one says it. But he has to say it. And... That morning when Ivy comes in the servants' hall, Jimmy, he compliments her, but it's very vulgar what he says. And it feels like he has to, because he has to make a point, like, I like women. It's really just to do that. I'm quite sad that he uses Ivy for that because Ivy, obviously, she would kind of, even if it's a bit vulgar, she would kind of like the attention because she likes Jimmy. So, yeah, but he has to make a point that he's a ladies' man. So that's why Thomas looks so depressed when he's with Robert in the dressing room. It's not just about the bait situation, it's more about what just happened here. Because he thought that Jimmy was interested, he was not, and then he kind of took a turn that where it was not what he wanted. Like, yeah, it doesn't look good. Because right now he he could be arrested. So not just, I'm not gonna have a job, I might end up in prison. So yeah. And after dinner, Alfred and Jimmy, they act weird. Carson, he's upset, like, you've been acting weird. What is going on? But they don't want to say, because obviously no one wants to say what happened. And Alfred, he talks about what he saw to his aunt. Obviously, the worst person he should talk to. And she says that he has to speak to Carson. Obviously, it's what she wanted, but he doesn't know. But in the end, he then says to her that he should speak. So he will speak to Carson. So... He has to talk with Carson. And Carson, he's shocked. But Alfred, he says that uh, Jimmy looked really shocked. That he didn't look like, like he wanted it. Because apparently O'Brien said that, you know, Jimmy was in on it. But Alfred he doesn't think so. Which we could give him that. Because he could have just said that Jimmy was in it too. So he could get rid of Jimmy too, you know. But he felt really shocked by all that. So Carson, he has to talk about it with Thomas. And I really like this scene because Thomas, he doesn't want to say, you know, he's, he he can't deny it because it's true. And Carson, he is angry. And at the moment he really reaches like his peak of, of anger when he says that when you should be horsewhipped. And it's almost like he realized that he's going a bit too far. And then he calms down a bit and he says, you know, give me your word that nothing has happened. And Thomas says nothing happened and that Jimmy is the innocent party of this. Like he takes Jimmy's defense. And Carson said, well, you know, Jimmy could report you to the police, but I don't think it would go that far. And the way he says it, it's almost, it's funny because you see, he doesn't like Thomas at all. Like he doesn't like, I think he doesn't like Thomas because of how he is as a person, like the whole stealing thing or that. But I think he doesn't like him just also because of that. But also when he says that, 
you could report him to the police to see that Thomas is really tense because that would be the worst thing that could happen to him. And then Carson says, well, I don't think it will come to that because almost like as a reassurance, like maybe you would just go from this house and you could do your life somewhere else and we will never hear about this story again. And when Thomas leaves, Mrs. comes in and says, well, he looks really grim in the face. What, what happened? And Carson is still shocked. And I really, really like that it's a conversation. And Carson says, human nature is a funny business, isn't it? Why didn't the poets come to you, Mr. Carson? They'd have saved themselves a lot of time and trouble. Mrs. Hughes, I just love it how Carson, he's, he's really shocked. Like his reaction to something that really be too dramatic. He doesn't want to say what happened to Mrs. Hughes because he doesn't want to shock her. But we all know that she wouldn't be shocked because Mrs. Hughes, like, yeah. And you know, like Violet said, a woman of my age can face reality far better than most men. I believe it's true. And even if they're not from the same and haven't lived the same life and have the same experience in life, I do believe that Violet was right and that even Mrs. Hughes could say the same thing. You know, like a woman of her age can face the reality far better than most men. Definitely far better than Carson. So now it kind of takes a new turn in our Pentagon because Thomas is out of the equation because he realized that no, Jimmy's not interested. So he will have his own storyline that we follow because this is obviously not the end, you know. But with the other four, like, really, I don't know. It's almost boring at that point because it's, yeah. But Thomas, we're going to follow that in the next episode. Bananas. Ethel, yeah, she's still here. Ethel, she still has her storyline because it is not over. Remember last episode, Isabel planned a luncheon to support Cora in her grief with the girls. And Ethel asked Miss Papon to help her cook something nice, which she did. And Robert was furious and he budged in at Crowley House and nobody left because, well, actually Cora didn't want to leave more because she wasn't great Robert and no one left to prove a point, you know, because now everyone knows that there's a prostitute working at Crowley House and well, that's not really, doesn't give a good image of the place. So Violet is at Crowley House and she wants to talk about Ethel to Isabel. She says that she needs to get rid of her, but she needs to let her go. And at first, Isabel doesn't understand because well, you didn't work at my luncheon when Robert wanted to. And she says, well, that was not the point. The point was to support crying in her grief. You know, it was, there was no point for us to leave. But the, the issue is that Ethel is notorious in the village. The whole thing is creating scandal. She is creating scandal. And the issue is that because Crowley House is part of the family, Isabel is part of the family, everyone is included in this scandal. Isabel does not agree, obviously. And Violet says, I don't criticize your motives. Like, I don't think you were wrong to help Ethel. The issue is that you didn't think the whole thing through. Like, there's an issue in the fact that there's a prostitute working in your house. And she says that she tries to tell her, really, you need to find another cook. Obviously, Isabel doesn't want to agree. And Ethel comes in and Isabel says that, you know, her cooking has improved. And so um, Ethel says, well, you know, these days... A working woman must have a skill. I have to say, I just love what Violet says. But you seem to have so many. And what I love even more, it's Isabel's face. Oh my God, it's priceless. But Violet does have a point, you know. And actually, later, Ethel is crying in a village. And Violet sees her, like she's in her car and she sees her. And what I think is very moving is you see her reaction. She does feel sorry for her. Like, I do not think she's insensitive to the issue. 
I don't believe it at all. I think Violet is actually the most surprising character in Downton Abbey because she is this very conservative person, like she believes in tradition and all that. But also because she can, she doesn't really like change, but she can embrace it. Like It's almost a moment when she is facing facts. She's like, okay, if that is how it's supposed to be or how it is now, it's stupid to try to feign that it doesn't exist or to go back to another word that can't exist anymore. Like, I don't know if you understand what I mean, but I think she does really feel sorry for Ethel. And she actually said to Isabel, she does not criticize her motives. The issue is that it's not just about her, it's about the whole family, the scandal that is around it. But I do believe that she felt sorry at that moment. I like this tiny scene. Then at Crawley House, Ethel, she says to Isabel that Mrs. Bakewell refused to serve her. It was her husband who served her. It wasn't very nice. And Ethel says that she's used to it. And it's really sad because, again, that also proved a point that Violet is right. Because if she is used to people treating her badly, maybe it would be best to just move in another village, like somewhere else where no one knows her. And I talk about it at dinner because Violet, she says to Isabel, she said, well, I, I've seen you cook in the village. And so Isabel talks about where that Miss Baker wasn't very nice. And so it's so sad that, that people are so unforgiving. And Robert, he says, Some people are unforgiving, others are insensitive. And I really don't know how to take this, like this comment, because if you remember his reaction last episode, it feels like he is insensitive. He would say, I don't care how she earns her living. Like, I really don't care about her. And sometimes it's even worse to be insensitive than to be unforgiving, because, like, you don't care. I don't really know, because it's why he says, how he says it, and his face like I think he's still angry about the situation you know I don't tell me what you think about that I would really like to hear your thinking because for me it's almost like he makes a point again I think that he does not agree with Isabella she should get rid of her he's still angry to have exposed his whole family to gossip I'm not really sure how to interpret that so if you have ideas feel free to share them with me and then after dinner Violet and Edith with Isabel and Isabel is angry because Edith has put an advertisement for Ethel in a newspaper and actually when we talk about Edith we're going to talk about that but Violet she asked a favor from Edith and Edith she said that she had an errand to do for her mother and that errand we realized that it was to put an advertisement in a newspaper for Ethel because what Violet wants it's for Ethel to find a job elsewhere and Isabel she is angry and Edith she is on her grandmother's side because she says well Granny thinks that it would be better if she can find work elsewhere because no one would know her so it would be easier for her which is true it would be so easier for her if she could find a job elsewhere and no one knows her her past would be like wiped out maybe not completely but she would not be just this notorious person that was a prostitute and then she asked Carson if Mrs. Hughes can meet her in the hall and so in the hall we have Edith, Violet, Isabel, and Mrs. Hughes. And Violet asks Mrs. Hughes if she thinks she's wrong. And Mrs. Hughes says no. Mrs. Hughes, she agrees with Violet. And at first, Isabel, she's a bit stunned by that. But she says, you know, I'm not an insensitive person, but I think she's right. I mean, Ethel will always be this former prostitute. If she moves elsewhere, she'll have a, a new chance, you know, to have kind of a new life. Like Edith says, I mean, she's not a bad cook now. So if she has a good reference that Isabel can write and Miss Hughes can write also a good reference, it would be better for her. But Isabel, she doesn't want to see it because I think Barbara doesn't want to be wrong. Like she 
wants to help her. It's like with the son, you know, she didn't want Ethel to give up her son. It's like why she likes to be right, I think. And she likes to save people. It's it's almost like if Ethel goes away, she hasn't saved her. Like in kind of an unfinished business situation. She says she will talk about it with Ethel. So then Isabel, she comes home and she asks Ethel if she's happy. And Ethel says, well, I, I suppose I'm happier than I was before. So that gives her the answer. Yes, she's happier than she was before. That means with son that she didn't know how to feed. She was a prostitute, all that. But now, yes, it's better. But people really treat her like she's nothing. So I think that's the answer. And Isabel, I don't think she really wants to see that. But I am on Violet's side here. Well, Violet, Edith, Mrs. Hughes. I think Ethel would be happier as well. Obviously, because if Edith has put an advertisement, we know that maybe there'll be some answers where we know this is not the end. Because if Violet has an idea or wants to do something, it's like Isabel, like she will not stop until she has what she wants, which is Ethel leaving Crowley House. So we know it's not the end. Bananas. Now, let's talk about Edith. Because Edith, you know, sorry about her editor. Who wants to meet her but at breakfast the editor has written back to repeat his offer so that means he really wants her to write for him matthew he supports her he said well, why don't you go to london to meet him you know you could stay with rosamond buy new clothes it would be nice it would also be nice for you you know because it had been really gloomy with all what happened it would be nice for you to get a bit of fresh air somewhere else and all that obviously robert does not agree because where he doesn't agree with, with this whole thing. He even says he wished that, but Matthew would not encourage her. But I'm so with Matthew. Like, yes. Really, I just want to say thank God for Mary for marrying him because he's such a supportive brother-in-law. Even Tom, he's really nice. Like, I mean, Edith, at least her sisters have married actually quite good men. Like, really. Maybe Mary and Edith are our best friend, but Matthew, such a supportive brother-in-law. We like him. We love Matthew. Because he's literally one of the only one that truly supports Edith. And we love him for that. Then Edith, she has tea at Violet's. And actually, she wants her grandmother to support her. This whole idea of writing a newspaper. At first, Violet's like, but why would I support you? Because I do not agree. And it's like, but yeah, but no, you keep telling me to, to find something to do. I have found something to do. I don't want to be invisible. I'm tired of being invisible. And I can feel it. No, because Mary, by being the eldest, and now she's married to the heir, she has done this beautiful wedding and all that. Mary was never invisible. She never would be invisible. And Sybil, by just the fact that she ran off with the chauffeur, and then when she's dead, it's really sad. But Sybil was not invisible either because in the way she was. Actually, I don't think she wanted to be visible, like Mary, who likes, I think, the spotlight. But it's just how she was. Everyone kind of saw her. But Edith has always been in the middle and she's like, I don't want to be invisible. Like, if I can write and I like it, I want to do it. And I like how when, you know, she says, I'm going to meet the editor and if I like him, I'm going to do it. And I how I, she kind of changed. Like, okay. I know, it's almost like she almost wanted to challenge Edith by really asking her to go and take her life in her own hand. I don't know if you know what I mean. Because then she's like, okay, I'm going to see what I can do. It's at that moment she says that she wants a favor in return. And I like it because, like I said, Violet, it's almost like when she's faced to a fact, she's like, okay, there's no point to argue with that anymore because it's it's going to happen. So she's going to accept it. It's like when Sybil went to marry Tom at the end, when they were married, she's the one who sent the money because I went, that's the fact. They are married now, so it's stupid to pretend it's never happened. So I quite like that. 
you know, that it's the opposite of Robert, that he so doesn't want change, he so wants the world to go in his way, that when he does not agree with something, he will stay on his position and it's really hard to make him change his mind. That's why I think Violet's very interesting character, because I think she's the less predictable one. So during dinner, they talk about Edith, because when they talk about the estate and all that, and you see there's tension. So Cora changes subject by asking Edith when she's going to leave. And Robert F is like, oh, don't tell me you encourage her. Like, you encourage her to, like, please don't tell me that because um, I can't be alone in this. Cora says, well, she hasn't agreed to anything yet. But that means the way she says it, that she kind of encouraged it a bit. So she really changed her tune because I told you last episode that she kind of changed it because she wanted, she was mad at Robert, which I think is true. But maybe now she took time to think about it. Maybe she's like, why not? You know, literally, why not? If I had a daughter that became a nurse, why can't I have one that writing for a newspaper? Really, like, why? They are worth thing in life, like losing a child. So... I think in the end she wants to support Edith because is this you realize she really wants to do him. And I do love this little conversation because Robert he thinks that his mother will be on his side, which surprise she is not. Mama, talk to her. Talk to all of them. Say something sensible. Yes, let's hear how a woman's place is in the home. I do think a woman's place is eventually in the home, but I see no harm in her having some fun before she gets there. Oh, Granny, thank you. Have you changed your pills? <laughs> and another thing, I mean, Edith isn't getting any younger. I mean, <laughs> perhaps she isn't cut out for domestic life. I love this scene. I love the, have you changed your pills? This is hilarious. And even Robert laughs at that. But what was starting as, um, I support Edith, turns out to, it's almost an insult to her. Like, at the end, Edith's like... <laughs> And Cora's face and Matthew when Violet says Edith isn't getting any younger. Matthew and Cora's face like, what? I know this is so funny. I mean, poor Edith, but this is so funny. And then, well, Edith is in London and she meets the editor. And, well, he seems very nice, very charming. I quite like him. I really like him. You see that he talks to her like she's just a person. You know, you don't feel like he wants her because she's Lady Edith Crawley. You feel like she, he wants her because she's well, Edith, who wrote to the Times and he liked what she did. So hey, it feels quite nice. And he asked her to have lunch with him the next day and she accepts. So, I mean, there's something. Like, they have a nice chemistry. And then we have a scene that I really love, obviously, because it's Cobert together in bed. And I really like it because first, that means they're back together, like truly, because Robert is back in Cora's bedroom. So we like that. I just really like it because it's very casual and because usually they talk before going to bed and there you see that they should be sleeping but Robert can't sleep because he has so many things on, on his mind. I just love how they place like you see that crush is so close to him like they are on half the bed like really <laughs> because the bed is quite big and she's so I mean I just don't know if you just think it's really cute but you know me I'm a corporate shipper so I just they're just so cute. I really do like this scene. They, they talk about different storylines. But I talk about Edith. And, you know, so because Robert's like, okay, so you're against me over, like, everything. And Crash says, Robert, even your mother spoke up for Edith. Think of that. A facer, I admit. She'll have had some reason of her own, of course. Is she really so Machiavellian? Yes. I just love these tiny scenes. It's just so sweet. Them in bed, like, just, it feels so right. I'm so happy because that means everything is great again, you know? 
because things were not great last episode. So I'm really happy that things are back to normal, I'd say. And like the issue really so Machiavellian. Yes. And he's quite right in a way because she does have a reason, you know, she wanted a favorite return. So yeah, he does know his mom a bit. But so then Edith, she has luncheon with Michael Gregson, so the editor. And talk about family and Mary's wedding and see how annoyed she is when he mentions Mary. Like, And she mentions that she was cheated at the altar. And I like uh, when she says, it's a relief to be reminded that I'm not an object of pity to the entire world. And you see how he's a bit like embarrassed and says, oh my God, you're going to turn the job down. And he says, no, if, not if you don't want me to. So he realizes that she has made up her mind and she wants to do this job. And you see that he's really charming. You feel like he's really nice and it sounds like he really likes her. And I don't know, I, I like the, the vibe between the two of them. Like they work really great together. So she accepted the job because at dinner she announces that she's a journalist. I love the reaction of, of Violet. Like we know we have a country solicitor, we have a car mechanic. So it was just, it was just a matter of time. <laughs> I really like it because Robert's like, <laughs> and Mary, she asks her how was the editor at the end. And she's well, he was very nice. I like the look, like her, her expression when Edith says that. And the look she gives Matthew, because if you realize, I mean, she looks at Matthew, who was next to Edith, you know, because Mary, she always has to judge her sister. But I quite like the fact that she was on her side, even maybe not the most supportive person, but she was on her side with the whole editing thing. So quite like that. They're not at war with each other at that moment, because, you know, I think Matthew is the one that kind of calm Mary down, you know, and tame her a bit. But so Edith is a journalist now, so we're happy. And I like it. I like it now Edith having a proper storyline of her own and having her own life. I think it's really great for her. And we're going to follow that in the next episodes. Bananas. Then one of the big, big storyline that we have in this season is Downton Management. Because, well, it's complicated, you know. <laughs> At breakfast. Matthew he talks about Jarvis and Robert is a bit bitter because he feels like Matthew wants to control everything without including him in it, which Matthew doesn't want to. But Matthew, he realized that Robert think completely differently on the subject. And Tom, because he's at breakfast too, he witnessed this whole thing. And I like when he says, Are you sure you wouldn't rather just cut and run like me? And you see Matthew sometimes like, yeah, maybe. Yes. I Yeah. And then they have a meeting, you know. Robert, Matthew, they have a meeting with Jarvis and they try to explain to Matthew how they should do it. And Matthew's like, we can't do that. We need new machinery. We need to make more profit because we need to think about the future because this has been mismanaged for so long. You know, like you had money and you just threw it through the window without actually thinking how you can earn money again. Jarvis tries to speak to him. You knew, yes, he's new to this way of life, to the life estate and all that. Matthew being a solicitor he knows nothing about law if they could just listen to each other they could make a great team because Matthew knows everything about law and all that and Robert he has been raised in, in this so he knows a bit how to deal with the people so they could work well together <laughs> they're just so stubborn and Matthew gets really angry and he says Downton must be self-supporting if it's to have a chance of survival he is right but you know Robert's like well we're gonna need to think about it okay and so during dinner, like I said, they talk about it and talk about the estate. And Matthew says that he asked Murray to come. And Robert is a bit angry at that because Matthew asked Murray to come without telling him, without asking him. He's getting really angry because he realizes like he kind of is losing the hands of his own estate. You know, it's like Mary says, the world isn't going his way anymore. 
that Mary and Matthew are in her bedroom and talk a bit about this whole business. Matthew said, well, you can't tell me to take an interest in all this, but then to not take an interest. Like, it's really complicated because Mary, she is conflicted because she wants Matthew to take an interest because it's his duty uh, and because he's the heir and all that. And he has really good ideas for the future, but she doesn't want her father to be left out because she loves her father. And technically, he's still Lord Grantham, so he's still like the big boss and all that. But Matthew, he thinks it's right because he thinks about their future. And talking about future, he then talked about the fact that he thinks that something must be wrong with him because she's still not pregnant. And this is still something that it's worrying him. You know, he even talks about it to softly tapsol, but let's not just talk about this guy right now. So he really thinks there's something wrong with him because she's still not pregnant and he's very worried about that. He thinks it's his fault because he was injured and all that. And Mary tries to reassure him, but it doesn't work. But like I said, Matthew has new ideas. And after a dinner, he talks about it with Mary and Tom about the estate. And Tom, he agrees with Matthew. He says, well, you know, now we have money. So we can give a good compensation to the tenants if they want to. Because we have the money now. So it's now you should do it. And Robert, when he hears that Tom takes an interest in all that, he has to say something. So they almost argue. And Violet is immediately say, okay, hey, hey, calm down. Okay, we all great to take a deep breath. Everything will be fine. So Barry's like, well, Tom, do you know anything about farming? And he says, well, my grandfather was a sheep farmer. And Robert's like, oh, great. Who you know about farming? Robert, he's not a snob, but he's, all his reaction towards Tom are always a bit snob. Like, yeah, he doesn't really care about him. Like, yeah, I think he, he acts a bit snob with Tom, which is stupid, really. But, you know. And then again, Cobra's in bed. The same thing we talked earlier. Robert, well, he, like I said, he can't sleep because there's so many things in his mind. And one thing is this whole thing about the estate. And he's angry about this whole thing. I mean, he can't believe that Matthew asked Murray to come without his permission. And I like what Cora says. You keep telling everyone Downton's a dual monarchy now. I never realized you didn't mean it. I like it because it's so true. He said we'll be joint masters, which means they all have to make concessions. And Robert... The first is to accept that if they are joint masters, Matthew has his ideas and his ideas are valid and he doesn't want even almost to listen to them. So Cora has a point and it's at that moment that we're like, so, okay, so you are against me over that, over Edith and over the questioning that we talk, we talk about that later. But he needs to just, he's so stubborn, you know. It's almost like he knows his idea is not the right one, but he will still for it because he doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. So he will still go <laughs> until the end and then he will realize that it was the wrong idea. But, you know, anyway. And so, you know, Matthew asked Murray to come. So Murray's here with Jarvis and Matthew and Robert. They're all in the library and they talk. And Murray, he's on Matthew's side. He already said it, that there is an issue with how downtown is managed. But Robert said, but can't we just try to do things more smoothly like we did in the past? And I love what Murray says. The past is not much of a model. The third Earl nearly went bankrupt. The fourth only saved the estate by dying. And what would you all have done in the 90s without Lady Grantham's money? I say, Murray, when I asked you to say what you think, I didn't mean to be taken literally. I just love the, how he just said fight. And Robert just he's really like a slap in his face. Like, okay, okay, I got it. But Jarvis, he is angry and he's offended because he doesn't want to hear that he has been mismanaging Downton because he's the agent. And so in the end, he wants to resign. 
Robert is shocked. He says, you know, I know we need to move forward. We can't do anything without changing things. That I know. But he wants it to be like like um, a bridge between what we, they did in the past and what Matthew wants to do, like to making things more smoothly. But Travis, he, he can't do it. Like he says, I'm, I'm going to go. And I like what he says to uh, Matthew. I'm the old broom, Mr. Crawley. You are the new. I wish you luck with your sweeping. Robert, he's angry. And then we have a scene. I adore this scene. Matthew comes into Mary's room when she is getting ready for dinner. And he just falls onto the bed. I just love this because he is exhausted. Because she asks him, well, how did the meeting go? <laughs> he's like, pretty bad. Javis has resigned. <laughs> yes, this is pretty bad. I just love this scene because he says, I know it's the right way. I know this can make Downton safe for our future, for our children, if we ever have any. He says, I need you to believe in me. And I like when she says, but what about Papa? Because I do love him. And then he says, Love him by all means, but believe in me. I really love this scene because they're so happy. They're so happy. It's so nice. Such a sweet scene. Like I really, really love this scene. It's so sweet. <sighs> Well, like I said, uh, let's enjoy it while it lasts, while we can, because, um, yeah, let's just enjoy it. I really love this. It's so sweet. And I like when Mary says, and don't say if we ever have any about children. And his look, the way he looks at her, it's just so, my God, with loving eyes, just so, so sweet. I love this scene. I really love this scene. It's so sweet. And one of my favorites in this episode between Robert, Cora and Violet there in the drawing room. And it's really funny first because Violet's like, what am I doing still here when all the young ones have gone to bed? Like, who am I? And so they talk about what happened about Jarvis left and, you know, it means it's a poor return for 40 years of service. And Violet says that he has always been his father's man, that he never really saw Robert as really the master, the earl, but more the, the young one. Julian said it in a comment that it's always easier when a servant arrives when the chief has already been there when you have a change. Like he even said it about housekeepers because apparently Mrs. Hughes, she arrived when Cora was already the countess. So it was easier because Mrs. Hughes just had to do how Cora wanted it and didn't have to change. And for Cora, it was easier because she just had to say Mrs. Hughes how she wanted to be and she didn't have nothing to be compared to. Rather than the old housekeeper would say, yeah, but like the dowager didn't do that and all that. So I can understand it, really, that Jarvis, he was always working with Robert's father. And so when Robert came, he was like, yeah, he's my boss. But like, I do believe that maybe he always compared everything he did to what his father did. And apparently his father was not the best at, you know, managing downtown because of uh, the whole financial crisis they were before Cora arrived. So um, maybe his best is gone. But then I really love this whole conversation. I'm just going to give it to you because it's just so priceless. But then Robert, he says, but we we need to find someone else, you know, to be the agent. And Vice says, but you've already found him. What do you mean? Well, obviously, the answer to a thousand different questions is to give the position to Branson. Tom. Tom, well... If he's the agent, we can call him Branson again, thank heaven. <laughs> That's a mad plan. It's not. Tom and Matthew can work on the new ideas together. They're the same age. But what does he know of farming? His grandfather was a farmer. Oh, in a small way. Which means he has more practical experience than Jarvis ever had. Think of the child. 
You cannot want your only granddaughter to grow up in a garage with that drunken gorilla. Don't we owe this to Sybil? I'll do it on one condition. No, two. First, Matthew must agree. He will. Second, you will both admit it when you realise you were wrong. Oh, well, that is an easy caveat to accept because I'm never wrong. Love this scene. Um, they talk a bit about, you know, the idea that it, it solves everything because if Tom is dead, he would stay at Downton. He would not go to work with his uh, brother. We talk about it when we talk about the christening just after that. But yeah, it solves everything. And again, Cora is right. They're the same age with Matthew. They get on really well. So it's, it is the answer. Robert obviously doesn't want to see it because he's stubborn, but they're right. And so it's the christening. And Robert talks about it with Tom. But Tom, at first, is a bit surprised. Well, it's a big job. He says it. You want me to take on the running of the whole estate? It's a, yeah, quite a big job. But Robert says, Think of it as a christening present from Sybil. It's a wonderful idea, Tom. I'm ashamed it wasn't mine. And I love how Matthew says that because he's so happy. He's like, yes, Tom, this is great. This is like, why haven't I think about it? But he really, he's really happy. And I think he really wants him to be the agent because it would be so much easier. And... Yeah, this is a great idea. And we know it will work out. I'm sure it will work. Because they're the future. Matthew, Tom, they are the future. So I think it's a yeah, great idea. We just need to see how it's going to work. Because, you know, Robert isn't very enthusiastic about Matthew's idea. So, yeah. We will follow that again in the following episode. Bananas. And now, let's talk about the christening and Tom and the baby. So like I said, Robert and Cora are working together outside again and where they talk about the baby because Robert asks if Tom has any plans of moving out. And Cora says, how can you move out without having a job? How can you even want him to? Which is so true, like, think about it. And she says that they both are their responsibility, Tom and the baby. They owe it to Sybil. Actually, you would realize that this is a favorite a phrase to convince Robert we owe it to Sybil because she knows that that would make him, you know, agree with her. And she's right. I mean, it's their granddaughter. And if he leaves, he would take his granddaughter with him. And Cora doesn't want to be away from her first granddaughter, who is the child of a baby girl. Like, no. And Tom is with his baby girl. And Mary comes in and talk about the christening. And he says everything is arranged and that he just had planned to tell her and Matthew because he didn't think that the others would want to go. And I feel quite sad that he didn't thought about talking to Edith because I think Edith would have loved to be there. But Mary, she says, well, just give them the chance to act properly. So I think it's, she's right. Like, you know, maybe if, even if they don't come, just ask them if they want to. So give them the choice at least. Then he asks her if she would like to be a godmother. And he says, you know, because as long as one of them is Catholic, uh, she can be the grandmother. And his brother is coming in to be the godfather. At first, he would stay in the village. And he says, no, he will stay here because you are part of the family. Your child is definitely part of the family. So if your brother is coming, he will stay here. And like when Tom says, he's a bit of a rough diamond. I'm very fond of diamonds. I really love how she answers it. Like, yeah. She is the one that really said at the beginning, so, you know, now he was married to my sister, so I will welcome him because there's no point to argue to be at all with him because it, they would not go far with that. And now she really has accepted him because, I think because of uh, Sybil, because Sybil said, I do love him very much and I don't mind baby to be Catholic. And she said that I, she would fight her corner, so she's still on it. And being the godmother of the child is actually really being on his side because her goddaughter would be Catholic. 
And then there was a scene that was cut. And it is one of the cutest scenes ever. This scene was on the German version of Downton Abbey. So if you have seen that, this scene exists in German. I have no idea why it was in, in Germany and not in the rest of the world. Like, really, I don't understand. Because it's such a sweet scene. It's between Cora and Tom and the baby girl. And actually, it's, it's a sweet scene because in this scene, Cora calls her Sibby. And Branson says Sibby, not Sybil. And she answers the same but different. And this is actually very important because we will see in the rest of the show that we always called Sybil Sibby. And we never ever had a moment where, or ex except if you saw the German version, but we never had a scene where we, when they decided that they would kind of change her name. She would still be Sybil, but not Sybil like her mother, but like, like she says the same but different. And I don't know why the cut is so sweet. Yeah, and I really like it because Cora asked him if they can come to the christening. She said, may we come? And Brenton said, well, if you want, but I didn't think Lord Grantham would feel comfortable. And I just love that she wants to be there because obviously she wants to be there because he's the daughter of her baby girl. Like, duh. But I just love this scene. It's very sweet. And yeah, I just love the fact that it was Cora's idea to call the girl Sibby. But maybe I just love this because it was Cora's idea. <laughs> but I'm just so sad it was Kat. I think I'm even more angry that it was in a German version and not the others. Because why? <laughs> I know there's not a scene, at least one other, that is in a German version and didn't make it in the others. And I don't know why. Why do they have more scenes that we, the rest of the world has? I have no idea. If someone has an idea, please let me know. Because I am very curious. But so then, during dinner, the same dinner that they talked about, Murray being summoned by Matthew and Edith writing to a newspaper, you know, when Violet took her defense. They talk about Tom's brother coming for the christening. First, he talks about the fact that he will work with his brother in his garage and they all like, you see Cora and Violet, they don't want him to work with his brother. Like, this doesn't sound really nice. And so says that where well, his brother is coming to stay and Robert asks, but why is he coming? And they were for the christening. And at this word, he takes his drink and he finishes it. Like, okay, I need a drink. So we talked about this christening a lot because this christening is going to happen. So that would be my French word of the day, christening. And in French, christening is baptême. It's written B-A-P-T-E with a circumflex accent, M-E. And it's masculine, so it's un baptême. This episode, like it's the title... I thought it was a great word to give. Very common that you can use every day of your life, I know. But it was fitting. So christening in French, it's baptême. And I like it because after dinner, Cora and Robert, I just love that in this episode, we have a lot of scenes with Cora and Robert together talking and even they do not agree. It's really just like it used to be. And I'm sorry if I can't stop talking about them, but really watching them falling apart last episode, just it was so awful that now I just like, that they're back together and I'm really happy <laughs> and the Cora makes a joke because Murray is coming in the morning and Tom's brother is coming for dinner so she says well it's gonna be a day of contrast and Robert's like oh my god like it's gonna be the worst thing ever you know and so then in bed again Robert he is a bit angry because so you are against me over Matthew over Edith over the christening that like, this is great 
But I mean, the Christian, he would not win this because even Cebu was okay for the child to be Catholic. So he lost it. I mean, Mary told him, you've lost on this one. This was true. Why can't you just put this in his mind? Just, oh. But so the next day, we hear people laughing in the seventh hall. Like, okay, what is happening? And actually, Tom's brother is here. And he doesn't want to go upstairs. Tom is coming downstairs with Mary. And he's the only one who does not stand up. Because usually, first you stand up when someone from the family comes in. But when a lady comes in, you stand up. This must be a reflex, you know. And he doesn't. Mary is really being a perfect hostess. She's like, but we all are looking forward to meeting you, Mr. Branson, you know. And he's like, no, I don't want to go. I mean, come on, Tommy, just stay down here. And he says, you think uh, you're too grand for them. And I love what Tom says. They know that I'm not. My mother-in-law has been kind enough to invite you to stay and dine and I'll not let you snubber. I really like that because you feel like he really tries to be in the middle, you know, because I do believe he doesn't think that he's too grand for them downstairs because he still fights to know where he belongs. But he has also learned to be polite. And like he says, you know, Cora has invited him so he will come because it's just he's just being respectful. And I really love then because Mrs. Hughes, because she knows Mr. Carson, she's like, okay, after seeing that, she says Carson must be very angry. But for once, Carson surprises her because she says to him, I know, you always said he would bring shame on this house. No, Mrs. Hughes, for once I will hold my tongue. I thought Mr. Branson's respect for her ladyship's invitation exemplary. Well, Mr. Branson's done something right for a change. Miracles can happen. I love this scene because I love that the cousin was like, you know, he's not that bad after all. And I love, you know, Mrs. Hughes said, well, he's done something right for a change because we know that Mrs. Hughes, she's a bit on Tom's side. I think she has a soft spot for Tom. And even Anna, which is miracles can happen. We know that Anna and Mrs. Hughes has always been the one that were the kindest to Tom. So yeah, I quite like it. But then dinner. Dinner is very, very awkward <laughs> with Tom's brother. And they talk a bit about, you know, what he's doing, you know, car repairs and says, well, we have rooms over the garage. And you see Violet's face, Mary's reaction, Cora's reaction, like it's awful. Like she is horrified by the idea of her granddaughter leaving with this man above a garage. Like this sounds awful. And she looks at Robert like, do you realize what would be Tom's life or granddaughter's life? That this is awful. And they talk about the christening and say, well, who is going? And, and Chris says, well, all of us, I expect, even Violet as well, if Tom want me there, yes, I, I would like to go. And Tom says, well, I would be honored. And so then Matthew, he asks Robert. Robert says that Tom doesn't want him there. And he even tries to make a joke about Catholic mass and all that. But Tom, he says, I would like you to be there very much. Why? What difference would it make? All I know is Sybil would want you there. She loved you with all her heart and she would want you there. Will you argue with that? Not if you think it's so important. Out of Cora's reaction when Tom says that Sybil wants him there because she knows that Sybil will want him there because she said, I love him terribly. She said it to her and I love how she looks at him, like challenging him, will you argue with that? Because she keeps saying, don't we owe that to Sybil? She keeps saying that and every time she says that, usually Robert comes around. And I like how Robert, he kind of wants to have the last word because he has to say, not if you think it's so important when he actually could have just shut up. <laughs> but you see that he, he's been touched by what has been saying. So obviously he will come. And after dinner, Tom's brother, he wants a beer. And Tom, you see, he's a bit embarrassed by his brother. 
But Mary, again, she acts like a perfect hostess and she says, well, we must have some somewhere. And then again, Cora and Robert, they talk together and Robert, he can't stand uh, Tom's brother. And Cora, she says, you're the one pushing Tom into his brother's arms. This is not what Sybil wanted for him. She told me. And she is so right. And it's funny because it's exactly what Sybil said when she said to Cora, Tom wants to work with his brother, but I don't want him to. And she even says in a way to say that maybe Papa would find it a kind of a solution, you know, because he never really liked Tom. So it was a way to say, okay, let him work with his brother. But she says, no, I don't want him to go backwards. I want him to go forward so that everyone can see that he can be someone. Like, because if he stays in cars, everyone will always think of him as a chauffeur. When he can be so much more than that. And Christ, she's so right. Because it's because of Robert, the way he acts, that of course Tom we want to go to his brother because he feels he's not welcome. When actually he's welcomed by everybody except Robert, who's technically the master of the house. So oh, Robert just please stop being so stubborn and stupid because this this is getting him nowhere. Because whatever happens, Tom will take his child with him. So he would be away from his granddaughter, away from Sybil's child. So he is stupid. And even Violet says, you know, if Branson leaves with his child, she will grow up with Branson's influence, not with the influence of the whole family, of Sybil's family. And he even says, I haven't thought about that. I said, well, you need to think about it. And I, I think, again, you absolutely need to think about it soon. But thank God his wife and his mother are a bit, um, well, think a bit more than he does because uh, they have found, especially via the solution. And again, you know, the solution to every problem is to make Tom the agent. Because even via, don't want your only granddaughter to grow up with Tom's brother. Have you seen the man next with drunken gorilla? Like, you can't want that. And Korash absolutely do not want him to go to Liverpool because first she wants to have a granddaughter near her and she owed that to Sybil because she, Sybil, you know, she told her that and she obviously would do that for her girl. And she says, again, don't we owe it to Sybil? Like, yeah. And I love when Robert says, well, you both admit when you were wrong when actually we all know that they are right. So Robert, please just admit when you are wrong. And we have the christening. I love, love this scene. I love how it ends the episode. It's so nice, so sweet. Because through the whole episode, you see see that they all are dark clothes, more or less. Even if Edith has the cream top at the moment, you see that even the dresses, they're all, especially Cora, she's, she's still in black. Mary, sometimes she has a darker color, but they're all also in half mourning. But for the christening, the girls, except Violet, they are in purple, different kind of purple lavender. And this is so, so beautiful. I really love it. Like, uh, I think it's really sweet. And Edith says, It seems so strange without Sybil here. She's watching. I know. I envy you. I wish I did. It's a really tiny scene, but I just love this with Cora and her two girls because I love how confident Cora is when she says, She's watching. I know. And Mary saying, I envy you, saying maybe once in her life that she envy her mother. We do not hear that a lot. I just think it's very, very sweet. And then you take a picture, it's so sweet. And then I love the end when the photographers say, well, not a picture maybe with the baby in her grandfather's arms with the great grandmother. And I feel they're really proud of Robert and, and Violet. And then the photographer has the idea, oh, maybe with the priest who christened her. Their faces, both of them, they're like, oh my God. We have to take a picture with a Catholic. Oh my God. This is so funny. Like, oh my God. And Cora's line is literally one of the best of this episode, truly. What's the matter, Robert? Are you afraid you'll be converted while you're not looking? 
And the look she gave me like, oh my God, what a way to end this episode, especially when you know how we ended the last one. I just love it. I mean, it's just so nice. Well, it's the end of this episode, but before wrapping this up, I will give you my music of the day. I wanted something a bit more hopeful and cheerful because we had really sad music the past two episodes, but still around Sibor because it was the christening of Little Sibby. And it was actually inspired by what Cora says, you know, when she says that Sibor is watching. Because I think the way she says it, it's almost to say that Sibor will always be here with them because they love her. And, you know, the ones that love us never really leave us. I think it's it's really that and that she would never leave them because she loves her family with all her heart and they love her. So yeah, I was inspired by that. It's hard to understand it, but I So that was Live Your Life by Ed Sheeran. He actually wrote this song for his daughter. And I thought it was quite fitting. Like if Sybil would say that to her daughter. And I, know, and I really love this song. And I think it's really, it's sweet. And it's quite in a more happy tone, you know. Like it has more happy vibes than what I have given you this last two episodes. So, yep. So that's it for this episode. I hope you liked it. I hope, like me, you were so happy to have really happy, positive vibes in this episode, except the whole Thomas situation. You know, Beta and Anna are happy. Cora and Robert are happy. Almost everyone is happy. It's really great. We're happy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like usual, I say every episode, but if you want to send me a message, uh, you can anywhere you want. I would appreciate it if you want to talk about anything. Yeah, I'm here. So... I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode 8 of season 3 of Downton Abbey. And I love this episode. I absolutely love it. I'm so excited. I can't wait to talk about this episode with you. And until then, stay hydrated, stay safe, take care of yourself, and don't forget. Vive la différence! Uh-huh.